Witty, thought-provoking, and uplifting, Southern Soul Livestream is a program that you'll invite your friends over to watch every week where you'll learn about interesting guests and get to share in their fascinating experiences. Tune in each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern to connect with guests from across the generations and to laugh with our eclectic hosts who are as charming as they are talented. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's our host, Calvin. With our first speaker on the topic of not only just mother wound or mother-daughter conflict, but more specifically, mental health. And let's see, I want to read um, part of this bio. Actually, I'm not going to read the bio. You know what? Anyway, Miss Tierra, if you don't mind, uh, let's see if we get you unmuted. I'm going to let you introduce yourself. So if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about you, because I want to read the bio, and just tell us about you, where you're from, and, you know, uh, some a few things about you. Absolutely. So I am Tierra Nicole Riley. I am a life coach, motivational speaker, four-time published author, um, the owner of Rethinking Me LLC, which is a life coaching firm. Um, and my favorite title in the whole wide world, I am Kayla's mama, okay? <laughs> so that is a good synopsis of, of who I am. Um, I've been in my company for a good amount of time, almost a decade at this point. Um, I'm a second generation entrepreneur, so it's in my blood. It's in my DNA. It's what I do at this point. Um, but I'm really excited to be here to talk about mental health. Not only do I have my own challenges with mental health, um, but I'm a mental health advocate. I'm a big fan of therapy and I will always recommend it where appropriate. Um, but I think it's something that we, especially in the Black community, need to remove the stigma with because it's absolutely a resource. And I need Jesus and my therapist. OK, it's not an and or it's not an or it's and. Right. I need to go to church. I need to pray. And I need to sit with a licensed therapist who's trained in actually, you know, creating patterns and 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 action plans and things like that. And what I identify is God made therapists for a reason. So here I am utilizing the tools that he gave us to live our best lives. Awesome. 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 Thank you for that. You know, I, I, I love a person who has passion for therapy. I'll tell you why is Whenever you talk to people, you can tell there's different types. There are the people who will be like, well, I don't know. And the people who are like, well, I don't know. And then you got the people who they'll be talking and laughing at the same time because they know it's real, right? When you can laugh about some of this stuff, I tell people, you know, mm -hmm. a part of my healing process has been when I get to the point where I can kind of laugh about it, then yes. it may not be over, but there's definitely some healing now. I found your bio, mm -hmm. so I'm a little bit ready now because that, okay. that, that uh, trivia happy going. I want to um, just read a little bit of this because I, I actually loved it when I read it originally, and it gave me a backdrop of you. So you. And I'll make sure I'm getting your name correct. Tiara, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So raised by a single mother, Tiara Nicole Riley has seen her share of struggles. She is a survivor of depression attempted suicide, miscarriage, and daddy issues. She has now dedicated her life to motivating others to do the same. Through books, blogs, video streaming, developing coach, developmental coaching programs, workshops, and motivational speaker, Tihara presently, persistently encourages consistent self-growth and accountability to others. Southern Soul, welcome to Tierra. Tierra, 
tell me this. Tell me your origin story. I happen to know you published your first yeah. book at what, 18, 20 or something? No, like? no, 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 no. Like how old were you for your first book? So my first book is called 23 and Finally Loving Me. I wrote it at 23. I published it when I was 26, 27, somewhere around there. Um, but yes, that is when I wrote the book. So the first book actually started as a journaling experience. Journaling is very therapeutic for me. And on my 23rd birthday, I decided to dedicate a year to growth, healing, development. And I just journaled the process. And that, it, that was all it was supposed to be. Um, but I tried to be obedient to what I feel God telling me to do. Right. And so um, one day I felt him tell me, like, you need to type it. Because I had, it was just a journal, right? He's like, you need to type it. Okay, so go through the process of typing it. And the thing that I've, in my walk with God is that I realized is you may not know why you're asked to do certain things. You just got to do it. Like, that's what faith is. You just do it. And so not even a week or two after I had um, finished typing up the book, I was in a church group and one of the members mentioned that her daughter had um, attempted suicide and she was like, just pray for us. I don't know what to do. I'm struggling. I don't, as her mother, I don't know how to support her. And so afterwards I went up to her, I said, you know, I'm, I struggled with suicide myself. If there's anything that I could do to support you guys, like, let me know. About a week later, she called and said, her daughter had been date raped and it re-triggered her suicidal attempt or thoughts and ideations. And it, she ended up getting hospitalized over it as well. And in that moment, I was able to talk to her and talk to her. I didn't know her daughter, but I was able to say, when your daughter is going through this, maybe this is what she needs. Maybe you can try this. This is what I wish my mother knew. And I couldn't tell her in the moment. Like, these are questions that you can ask to figure out what she specifically might need. And it was the first time I felt grateful for my experiences with depression and suicide. And um, my first attempt, I was seven years old. So kids struggle. Right. But I didn't know how to verbalize that. I didn't know how to communicate that. Um, and I was able because it was already typed and because I was obedient. Right. I was able to share her with her a digital copy of the book. And that is what prompted me to actually publish it, because I realized like my story can help somebody who's going through daddy issues, who's going through low self-esteem, who's going through depression or suicide. And in my later books, I talk about my struggles with miscarriage and grief and just being able to use the things that I've been through to help the next person. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You know, I've always had a special, I don't know, warm place of pride or excitement for people who have that ability to write the thoughts, those feelings in that channel. It's like a gift, you know, Yeah. it's like music. It's like writing. And I can only imagine, like you said, it's therapeutic for you. I yeah. can only imagine how that first book, but then you continued to yeah. continue to write books. Like, why did you continue to write books at this time? I mean, was it something else calling you? Why did you continue? Tell us yeah. about your other books and why did you continue to publish? Absolutely. Um, as I said earlier, I always try to be obedient to what I feel God telling me to do. Um, and I remember at my first book release party, um, I don't know where it came from. It wasn't planned, but I was like, I'm going to publish a book every year. 
And that's what I did for the first four years. That's what, exactly what I did. And another thing that I, I think gets missed is obedience in doing things, but also obedience when you no longer feel God telling you to do a thing. Right. So for four years straight, I published a book every calendar year, book, book, book. My first four were out and I didn't when it got time for book number five, I just didn't feel that pushed. I didn't know I have I have several books that are already completed, <laughs> but it was like I didn't none of them felt right. None of them felt like it was time. Um, and so now here I am, I'm actually in the pro- uh, book number four finished in 2020. And so now I'm actually in the process of publishing book number five in 2023, but it feels right. It's the right time. It's the right story. It's exactly what I feel led to talk about in this season of my life. You know, thanks for sharing that. You know, it yeah. sounds like, you know, for me, I, I do podcasting. It's my channel. You know, I'm, you know, I, I would read like tons of books and, you know, tons of conversations and for many years, I couldn't figure out how to channel that energy. Yeah. But it just kind of almost sounds like a part of your mental health journey is writing and publishing is supporting your mental health. I mean, does is it therapeutic for you? I mean, does it help you like um, think through problems? Or does it slow you down? I mean, what is writing? What is what does it do for you? Yeah, ther- writing is so therapeutic for me. So every a part of my self care mental health routine is I journal every morning, clockwork like every morning I I have my journal. So that's completely separate. But as far as actually publishing the books, what it does for my mental health journey is it feels really good to help people with my story. And like you said, it is a gift. And, And to be able to take my experiences and package it in a way that it actually helps people um, is something not everyone can do organically. I think everybody can can tell their story, but to be able to do it in a way that it flows, that it doesn't, it's my story, but it doesn't, it's able to interact with other people and people are able to gather different parts of my, what is my story and resonate with the part that's meant for them. I think it's my God-given gift, honestly. Um, and I, I remember my mom pulled out a book that my my first official book that was published in like kindergarten. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Um, or maybe not kindergarten. It might have been like first or second grade, but I read it recently and I was like, first of all, this is cute. But it just reminded me that this is my calling on my life. And to see those breadcrumbs throughout, you know, um, seeing the first actual book that I published, right? And then to see, you know, that I've been journaling for a very, very long time and where that took me. Um, and so it's it's just really, really great. And one of the intrinsic rewards of being obedient to God's call on your life is it feels good, <laughs> You just keep doing it, you know, um, as long as it feels right, I'm going to keep doing it. You know, I love how you describe when you helped that lady at church. It was the first yeah. time you had this different feeling, almost a good feeling, right? Yeah. About your story. And I can yeah. only imagine how beautiful that is. Women's empowerment is something that you're proud of. Oh, absolutely. Tell absolutely. me, what, what does it mean to you and how does this influence your the work that you do? Yeah. Yeah. I love, 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 love speaking on to women. Um, I think women are the backbone of society. And if I'm getting specific, Black women are the backbone to society. Um, And we are the backbones in our families. 
where the backbones at work, where the backbones in society pushing forward issues and challenging the norms and fighting for everybody's rights, right? And so I think if you empower the woman, especially if you empower the Black woman, that's where the real change begins. Um, you know, and, and, and it's just so beautiful to be able to pour into people who are constantly pouring into others. And I think that's why I love, love, love speaking to, to Black women, because we're givers. We're we're giving and giving and giving and giving. And far too often, we don't pause to give to ourselves, let alone do we are we accustomed to receiving so much so we feel guilty for for leaning on others. We feel like everyone can lean on me and we have this black superwoman complex and the more people I can help take that cape off the better. Cuz it, awesome. it it's not it that is not rewarding. Being superwoman is not rewarding under any context. The world will continue to spin if you take a day off. <laughs> awesome. You know one of the things that um, I'm proud of is to see the next generation and how they begin to position themselves as entrepreneurs. In fact, in two Thursdays from now, we're going to have a Generation Z panel. I think Ooh. you may be. No, uh, I am millennial. <laughs> you, you, millennial. OK, I, I, I am millennial. I can never tell. <laughs> you know, you get to the point you just can't tell. But <laughs> w- w- one of the things that I, I can appreciate is that. You know, this embracing entrepreneurship, this embracing, yeah. you know, challenging yeah. your, your own way, your own path and things like that. Tell me this, when it comes to, you know, engaging with you, I know um, Tamika is going to share your information so people can follow you. But Thank you, you know, Tamika. How, how do um, people typically engage you? Like if they're looking for support, um, what type of, you know, if you don't mind just describing what type of typical scenario, like you do coaching, you do um, life coaching, like do you do free consultations? Like how do, how would the yeah. audience follow Yeah. So I do offer free consultations. If you are ready for a life coach, absolutely. Um, Thank you, Tamika, for putting the website in there, rethinkingmellc.com. You can set up a free consultation. And the reason I offer it for free is because I want to make sure it's right for you and right for me. I want to feel excited about your story. I want to feel capable of helping you. Um, and all the fun things. And so that's why I do the free consultations. I also have a library full of digital content and event replays. Um, My books are there, my shirts are there. So you can engage in those ways as well. Um, I am most active on TikTok. Every day I'm posting motivational inspiration and messages and things like that. Um, I'm on all social media platforms at Tierra Nicole Riley, but I I have the most fun on TikTok. So that's where I am. Awesome. You know, I'm so jealous. You know, I I, I have a lot of fun on TikTok, but, you know, I I just so struggle. Eventually, I'm going to find my TikTok groove. And when I do, everybody going to know about it. I'm going to be a man. And that's the thing. I literally, when I first started, I was like, my sister is Gen Z because we're 10 years apart. Um, So she is a Gen Zer through and through. And I'm like, I feel like a geriatric millennial. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And eventually I figured out my groove and there are some parts of TikTok that I'm like, nope, won't be trying that trend. Um, But, you know, once you figure out how it works, it's such a, it's a blast. It's a blast. Yes, indeed. And it's so simple. You just, you know, it, it's easy to, to to spend a lot of time on TikTok. I literally have to set limits for myself on how much time I'm spending on TikTok. I'm like, okay, it's 8.32 now. I'm going to give myself until 8.45 and then I have to get up. <laughs> 
Yes, yes. You know, and, and I'm claiming it. I, I finally figured it out and I'm calling yeah. it the groove. And it's like, hey, don't rush it. You just got to find your groove. Yeah. And when you find your groove, then you'll have a good time. So I'm, I'm just going to. I'm going to walk into it. When I do, y'all going to be talking about it every week. I'm like, I found my TikTok. Yes, 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 yes. Tia, I love thank it. Thank you for being here today. I like to kind of spotlight, you know, entrepreneurs. I like to spotlight other people in the community. And we're doing something different this year of really just making sure that any entrepreneur out there who are doing their thing, we are creating this unique segment where we just spend time, let you talk about you in your life. And, you know, and hopefully you'll come back in Southern Soul and maybe, you know, co-host some shows with us and just have yeah. a good time. You know, I know you were podcasting for a while. It's a lot of work. And I tell people it's a lot of work. That's why you got to get support. Southern Soul. Tamika, I'll drop you on the chat if y'all want to get support with your podcast, because I typically tell people is that when you get started, it, the first episode, second episode, but after that, you'd be like, wait a minute, this is a lot of work. I got to do is. this every week. It and is. that's where it gets complicated. So, yeah. you know, hopefully you'll come on back and, you know, I, I got some, you know, I think we're probably going to be doing maybe a mental health show, maybe once okay. a month, I'm thinking. Uh, and if not once a month, once every six weeks. So I got a big one coming up in, I think, April. So I'm going to reach out to you on that yeah. one. Just email me the dates. I'd love to participate. This is a great platform. Uh, music speaks to my soul as well. Um, I feel like I was a singer in a past life. The the voice just didn't carry over into this life, you know. The the or the talent didn't transfer over. But um, so I love music. It's my heartbeat. So I I enjoy the platform. And thank you so much for having me. Um, and I'd love to be back. But agreed. Like doing a podcast is work. It, it is, is a work. lot of work. And that's probably why I don't do it anymore. It's a lot of work. <laughs> well, hang hang tight. And if you yeah. guys got questions for Tiara, you can hit up in the chat. She'll yeah. hang around. She yeah. she may be able to stay to Q&A um, yeah. after we do Dr. Sean. But if not, make sure you hit up in the chat, get her information, chat with her, and make sure you follow up with her. So um, next up is Dr. Sean. How you doing, girl? How you doing, Dr. Sean? Hey. I am so excited that you're here. You know, this topic of mother wound is a topic that was foreign to me for some time. Mm -hmm. But you and I sit down and we kind of had our conversation and I always trust the process. I trust the process. And I remember we were talking for a while and then I just kept talking and kept talking. And you're like, Calvin, that's my thing. I'm like, what's your thing? The thing you just said, that's my thing. And I'm like, what thing? And you're like, Mother womb is my thing. And I didn't even know what it was at the time, right? Mm -hmm. All I knew is that I, I'm really big into the culture. I'm really big in the community. And I can, you know, I'm that empath. I can feel the pain, right? And I was feeling this pain out there and I couldn't really describe it. But as you and I were talking, the topic of mother womb came up and that's how we ended up here tonight. But before we jump into you, I just want to kind of, you have a short bio, so I want to read it a little bit just to kind of tell people about you. Dr. Sean, the LPC, has almost 20 years working with women in Michigan and now serving women in Georgia. She specializes in unearthing generational trauma. She has studied African-American women and the mother-daughter relationship and how it has worked or not worked for, for ages. Dr. Sean has seen results with evidence-based treatment, but quickly learned that millennial women also needed a safe place to discuss their concerns and fears. Mm -hmm. 
She is not only a mental health advocate, but a wife, a mother, a sister, and a friend. Dr. Sean, the LPC. What's up, girl? How you doing? Hello, 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 hello. Well, you know, I'm excited to kind of just, you know, chat with you uh, about the topic. But before we do, let's just step into you, your origin story. You know, the audience, they kind of like to get to know the speaker. Tell us a little bit about you, your origin story, you know, where you're from, where you grew up and how you got into this work. Okay, so I always like to start with um, my name is Rashawn Fuqua. And named after my father, Richard. And I also want to show love to my mom, Eunice. And a lot of times with the topic of mother wound and dealing with your family of origin, sometimes people think, you know, what, what's going on there. But I, I do want to give love to my parents. I'm also Fuqua, so I want to give love to my husband. He gave me that name and um, such a wonderful support for what I do and I am a girl from Detroit, from the east side of Detroit. I don't know if we have any. I did see somebody from Champaign, Illinois. So Midwest, um, Detroit, east, west. I'm from the east side. I grew up and I moved to the Georgia metro Atlanta area a few years ago. And just having a heart for people always from a very early age and having people at the house when we were playing the music that took me back, basement parties, car parties, rent parties, those kind of things, just loving and taking care of people. And the path led me to want to know how to do this for real. Um, and uh, that is how I got on my mental health journey for myself personally, but also as a, a educator and the therapist to help people have hope to help people know healing is possible and let people show up authentically as whoever they need to be. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we've had a few shows about generational trauma and habits, but, you know, for the people who, you know, maybe used to these, because certain words have different meaning depending on where you go. Like, if you don't mind, just, just you know, we'll get us warmed up here. You know, what is, you know, generational trauma? What is generational habit? You know, what is that all about? Okay, so um, when we talk about um, generational trauma, a lot of times I like to say it didn't start with you. Um, the things that you are experiencing, the things that uh, have you that have the beliefs that you have or got you to where you are, a lot of times it didn't start with you. It started from um, your family origin, and sometimes you call that the micro, um, and then there's the meso, there's the community, um, it could be your, a church influence, your neighborhood, um, e even uh, your ethnicity. Um, and then there is the macro influence. And so what we know is like all of those have some type of impact on who we are. When we talk about generational trauma, what we know is this goes back at least three generations. And especially for um, the female child, um, if you have a child, you're passing three generations down to your female child because they get all the eggs. And so we, we that there's a term for that. Um, Transgenerational epigenetics inheritance. That's the technical name. I just shorten it and call it, uh, you know, generational stuff, generational baggage. Sometimes um, in church, you hear generational um, trauma, but that's what that means. It's not just your stuff that you're dealing with. You're dealing with stuff from um, the past. I love a good academic term, and I'm not going to try to pronounce that one because that was about six syllables, but I do know. <laughs> I love when you can find academic research 
informal time spent on understanding these things, the things that we just, you know, may casually call a generational trauma. We may casually call, as some say, a generational habit, but to know that there's actual research behind it. So as I began to kind of step into, you know, I was researching for the show, it's like my eyes were just opening and I'm looking at this topic of mother wound. I'm like, it's just so much to unpack there. It's almost like mother wound is a type of generational habit, trauma. I mean, would you consider that? Did, explain us, what is mother wound? What is that all about? So, yes, actually, yes, a mother wound is a type of uh, generational trauma. And it was um, something that I learned. I heard of epigenetics. And so uh, epigenetics is the genetic part of what your experience uh, passed down. When we talk about um, 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 a mother wound, well, let me go back to epigenetics for a minute, just to give people the, the uh, understanding. So when I say you can pass it down, your cells are round, okay? DNA, that's the, they round. If you remember, you know, biology class, science class. But what we learned is that if you have had stress and trauma, that stretches and pulls and reshapes them. And that's what gets passed down. And that's the epigenetic part. When we talk about the mother wound, and um, Black women specifically, which is uh, where I found my interest, Black women have always worked in this country. We've always labored. And either um, uh, Tierra even talked about it when she said, you know, we're always giving and doing. And when we pass that on, it does something to us. And, the, and we've named it mother wound because a lot of times, a daughter or children um, in particular can feel abandoned. They can feel rejected. They can feel like they cannot be themselves, maybe because there was this rigidness. But a lot of times the mother doesn't even realize this kind of thing has um, been passed on. We're just trying to make sure our children are strong and be and, and can navigate in society. Um, but we don't know that we are leaving them um, underprepared and with an hurt that is open, that's often not healed if you don't know what's going on. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for um, sharing that. You know, I, I want to kind of, I'm, I'm going to shift around. I was thinking um, millennials, but I'm going to pause on that because I really want to kind of dig into this a little bit more. You know, as I begin to kind of think about this, I, I kept thinking, wait a minute, I can imagine there are people out there who may have this challenge, yet they would think, well, I had a good relationship with my mom or, hey, me and my mom are cool. Have you seen patients who supposedly have good relationships with their mother, but still have these mother wound type of dynamics in play? Absolutely. Um, and, and, so let's 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 go there for um, black families. The mother is the pinnacle mother, grandmother, the matriarch. Um, she, she's, she's guiding us. She's carrying us. And we, we talked about that. So if it isn't a tenuous relationship or a relationship with a lot of conflict, it's hard to see that there has been a wound left. Um, you mentioned millennial women, which is um, initially what I began to, to work on when I started um, studying about um, mother-daughter relationships. Um but what we were finding is that when we start digging, like maybe mom was too rigid or maybe she pushed too hard. Maybe you were treated differently than your brother. And it's like, whoa, we start digging, stuff starts coming up. Well, I, I didn't feel like I got the nurturing 
that I need. And then and that's how we kind of get into the conversation or what we know now as um, healing the mother wound. Awesome. Yes. You know, it seems like I, I like the generational thing. Me and my um, buddies, we tend to talk about the generational nuances, meaning there come a time where one generation just does things just do, does things just a little different, right? So let's say, hey, I'm hypothetically speaking, um, mom was a traditional, you know, woman, right? She 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 worked at home. She 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 worked from home. She took care of the kids. You know, she took care of the family. She sacrificed over and over again. Yet the daughter is somewhat different. Maybe she's a leader in the community. Maybe she's, you know, a CEO. Maybe she's an executive. Maybe she does things differently. Is that enough to create some sort of conflict between mom and daughter to kind of lead to some sort of conflict there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's, It's so many layers and so little time. Calvin, so many layers and so little time, because even when you hear that, it seems like that something like that should be good, right? You you should be um, proud of her, but does that same CEO feel like she has time for herself and to take off her cape? We just talked about that. And, you know, I'm glad my daughter is doing things and being a leader in the community, but a lot of times there's still that push that you still have to do that. You have to take care of your children. You have to take care of your home. If you have a spouse, we need to take care of your spouse and you better not embarrass us at work. You know, so there's still this, this thing that the, um, the, the, I'm going to say millennial woman or the woman in the next generation is carrying and, and trying to fit and, and it, it can cause conflict and, and self-concept issues. Yeah, you know, and it, it's interesting because I, I like the way you describe it is that it should be a good thing, right? I mean, it is a good thing, right? But just because it's a good thing doesn't mean that it doesn't cause that. I like that term conflict, right? And just, you know, not not good, not bad, but just a little conflict, and, you know, as I begin to read on the topic, I was just amazed when I, you know, was looking at some of the challenges, like feeling, you know, that you must remain small. I mean, that just sounds mm-hmm. horrible. Or being overly rigid or dominating. I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or unconsciously waiting for approval. And I just begin to think, I'm, and it's like you said, it's, it's like an onion. You begin to unpack it. And I was like, like, how does this even manifest, right? But, but let's not go too deep there because there's, there's a lot there. Um, tell us about you and your therapeutic style, right? You, you're you're working with, you know, um, you got to focus on millennial women. I think you see women in Texas. I mean, not Texas, Georgia and Michigan. Georgia and um, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Georgia and Michigan, right? And tell us about your, your therapeutic style. Like, what's your approach in, you know, whenever you uh, um, run into or encounter, you know, women that are willing to work with you? So my, my therapeutic style, I like to say, is that we're sitting in the living room or sitting at your kitchen table just having a conversation before it gets deep. Um, and, and what that means is I'm going to bring in evidence, but the first, I have to make sure you feel heard. So no topic is off the table. It's a non-judgment. It's, it's, it's free. No judgment. Whatever you think, feel, or say, we're trying to figure out where did that come from? You know, what is that attached to? And then we can go into some of the therapeutic interventions that deal with um, trauma, like EMDR, which stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing, which is a a, uh, 
intervention that is used to help process trauma without you having to go into the detail of the trauma. There's acceptance and commitment therapy um, that helps you deal with the emotional part that maybe you have not processed the emotion that's attached to an experience. And so those are the, some of the technical terms. But before we get into that, how you doing? How you feel? How was your day? That's the kind of way that we're going to start out the conversation. I can definitely appreciate that. I was um, speaking to someone recently about um, different types of therapy. And the most significant part is being seen. And the challenge of what happens when you have a therapist and let's say from a different culture or a different experience. And for some reason, they just don't see you, right? They don't connect with you. They don't understand. That's one thing I, as I was reading your bio, I kind of, you know, appreciate as a mother, as a daughter, right? You know, as a friend that you can begin to, you know, notice some of these nuances and, you know, make those connections. Um, let's see here. Um, I guess I would like to know, this seems like such a hard topic because I don't think a person comes to you and be like, you know, okay, I got mother wound issues. Um, can you help me? Like, how, how do they show up and how, like for the women in the audience, how would they even know if this is a topic that they should pull into? Is there anything that they would be feeling or considering? Like, what would be a good start to kind of think about this topic? You know, obviously they're here because they're curious, but how would they know? Right. Because it seems like it, it's such an, I don't know if it's a new topic, but it, it's almost be hard to kind of you know, know if you needed help. That's, I don't know, that's my observation. Okay, so that's a good, very good question. Um, and to be honest, I've worked with, with in therapy for almost 20 years, you shared that, and it wasn't something that I necessarily pulled out, but, but in therapy, one of my goals was always get to the root. And you even say in, in the podcast, look, what's your origin story? And that's how, that's how we would start. Like, what's your origin story? You know, tell me where you came from. And certain things will come, I might be like, hmm, I want to explore that further and go a little bit deeper. And then that's kind of what connected me to kind of do research on it. So people don't necessarily come in. What I'm seeing people come in with is usually depression, anxiety, or uh, some type of trauma, some type of event. Somebody died. And, you know, why am I still grieving? That kind of thing. Or, you know, I want to strangle my boss at work. Why do I want to strangle my boss at work? I don't think I like my husband. That's the kind of stuff people come in and talk about. And then when we start peeling the onion, a lot of times you feel like I feel like I had to get married, you know, because I had kids or I feel like, you know, I have to do this because, you know, this is I got this degree. And I'm supposed to be, you know, showing up at work or I might be the the one what I call the one, the few and the only black woman at work. And I need to you know, I can't you know, I can't I got to stay here and do this. And so a lot of times she's coming in for something else. The way that you begin to experience um, to, to say, is this something is this a month? other one that I need to examine is just, you know, what is your origin story? How do you feel when you think about your self-concept and your self-reflection? How much of yourself do you see in your mother? Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I like that one because that one, that one goes deep and it, it requires a certain level of introspection. You know, that is awesome. You know, let's um get ready to transition for some questions about what I want to talk about is, you know, how do um, the audience connect with you? Tamika's going to drop in the chat your connection information. Okay. Do you do, um, what type of patients? I mean, I think you 
standard patients, but they would have to be in Georgia or Michigan. And what if, you know, someone's listening and they feel a need to, you know, reach out to a therapist elsewhere? You know, can they contact you for that? And then you redirect them. How does that work? So the best way um, to contact me, and I thank you for putting my information in the chat. Yes, if you're looking for um, a therapist, if you're looking for someone to do mental health therapy, they do need to be licensed in your state. So um, that's the first thing. But what I do try to do, if you follow me on social media, which is at Dr. Sean, the T-H-E-L-P-C, which is licensed professional counselor, I try to provide resources. I'm providing information. I'm on TikTok too. It's fun. You got to come and join us there. But I'm putting, I'm trying to put um, content out. If people do reach me, I usually use Psychology Today first, which is psychologytoday.com as the largest database. You can put in by your insurance. You can put in by gender. You can put in by ethnicity to find a therapist there. I also recommend clinicians of color, therapy for black girls. Um, There's therapy for black men. Uh, So, you know, where we can find someone based upon what our need is, or if you're looking for someone who looks like you, there's also for the LBGTQ community, um, there's resources for, you know, people that you feel like I can just come and be myself, because to me, that's the first thing. You need some place where you can be comfortable if you're going to go down the road to seek um, therapy. But to answer your question, because that's the long answer, following me on social media is the best way because I'm going to I'm providing resources and I'm working on something so I can reach out to more women who are just uh, not in my state. Yes, yes. The the research, right? You know, um, we're going to make sure we share that in the chat. Tamika, if you don't mind sharing in the chat, the research, tell us about the um, the research because we're going to share that in the chat. So for the audience as Dr. Sean is actually conducting some research and tell us about it. Cause I don't, I don't want to butcher it about um, I think the black women with depression and anxiety research. Tell us about that. So um, right now I'm, co- I'm collecting information on what I'm calling the black woman stress inventory, because during this, you know, in my work and just, you know, being a mental health advocate, I'm wondering, do we uh, handle stress differently? And I believe we do, but you got to put it, push everything through research. So the inventory is, um, and it's real quick, you know, please, you know, I, I need to hear from you women, yes or no questions, just to see the things that we have dealt with in the last two years. So for instance, I'm gonna throw out hair. Nobody else has an issue with hair like black women. And, and it can really be a stressful thing depending on where you work or how your hair agrees with you after it gets wet or humid. So that, you know, so that's what I'm looking at. I'm saying, you know, well, how do we carry our stress and what are the things that we have to deal with? So when you're dealing with mental health practitioners, we can be looked at better, better and holistically. Awesome. Awesome. I love, 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 you know, I'm a big fan of natural hair. And one of the things that I, I love about the natural hair movement is that it essentially began to enable us with something that was so unique to us, like our fingerprints, our hair, right? Uh, a wise person once says that, you know, our people are the only people who have been critiqued or criticized by the way hair naturally grows out of our hair, Ouch. out of our head, mm-hmm, and, 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 mm-hmm. and how that creates a certain stress. So I already know that research point is true, is that we got all kinds of stress associated with that. We are actually have a few questions in the audience and, you know, and I'm loving the question. So 
as we transition to Q&A, continue to put your questions in the chat. And I see Dr. Rhonda Maddox is here. Thank you, Dr. Rhonda, for being here. I'm going to have to get you scheduled because we're going to have a lot to talk about. So, Tamika, the first question I see comes from Dr. Uh, Rhonda Maddox, and I'm going to read her question first because it's the first one I see. But if you could help me kind of transition in, uh, Tierra, if you don't mind joining us back for Q&A, we'll kind of talk a little bit. Um, let's see here. Let me add here to the screen for the Q&A. So any questions you have for either speaker, I'm going to start with Dr. Um, Maddox and Tamika, if you don't mind helping me kind of stay sure. on top of these questions. For everyone else, if you can just continue to add your questions to the chat. Dr. Maddox says, how extensive does it have to be your situation before you could label it a mother womb? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I, 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 the label, let's let's start with there. I try to let people give that to themselves. I do not label people. I don't even like using depression and anxiety if we're going to keep it real. That's your body's response to something else that's going on. So um, we just kind of talk from, you know, what it is. And if it's something that comes up, I actually recommend there's a book where they can go and to do. And the book is Mother Hunger um, by Kelly McDaniel, where you can go and kind of see, does this fit? And then we'll come back and discuss. And I say, do you have questions? You know, do you see parts in you? And the book usually resonates and brings up stuff for them to be able to say, I, I think I have a mother wound. So, yeah, I, tr I try not to put labels on people. Yes, yes. I actually purchased that book. That is an awesome, awesome book. So thank you for referring that. I love a good book. So um, Tamika, if you don't mind helping us put that book in the chat, you can yes, get it Yes, I Amazon. love a good book too. So I'm at, but I use Audible because life, but I'm adding it to my she, wish list she, now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she has um, an Audible um, book as, as well. Yes. Uh, Tierra was actually in the chat as well. She says, waiting for my mother's approval. It's mm -hmm. something I'm still unpacking. Mm -hmm. I love mm -hmm. that statement yeah. because, you know, we didn't talk much on it, but as I began to read on it, I was like, hmm. I mean, it's I know parent, I know parent approval is important, but but I begin to realize. Uh -oh, to make it a meeting me again. Uh, welcome back. Hey. Uh, how important mother approval is yeah. when once again, you're different, right? Let's say mom's traditional. Yeah. And, and you're the CEO, right? And, you know, it's like she goes left, you go and whatever. So that and, and in my thing. experience, go ahead. Tira. My mother is, I said earlier, I'm second generation entrepreneur. So my mother is the entrepreneur. My, my family is full of them, but my mother is who I'm referring to. But the ways in which I'm different is I address, speak about, well, acknowledge and openly talk about my mental health challenges, my emotional needs, all of these. So I've become like almost a black sheep, but I'm okay with it. You know, um, like my family is very much on the don't ask, don't tell, don't put your business in the streets. And my first book might as well be a tell all. <laughs> like my family was at the book release, like, Ooh. you put that on paper. And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's out there. Hey. So, you know, that different piece often comes in from like, I'm, I'm very open about what I go through and my family collectively feels like I'm too open. And I'm just like, well, what you going to do about it? <laughs> wow. There's a statement in the chat. Um, this is from Jocelyn. Thank you, Dr. Sean, for illustrating 
that mother wounds are personal and defined a lot of times by our needs and what we did not get from our mother, as well as the expectation they put on us and what we feel they have for us. Uh, let's see here. Tamika, you got another question because the, the chat is out of control. I can't really keep up with it. Do you got a next question mm-hmm. for me, Tamika? Um, actually, there's just been more statements in here, but um, there is one from Joe P. What is the youngest client that you work with, uh, Dr. Sean? So currently I work with um, uh, women over 18. Um, in, in, in the past, I, I worked with clients as young as five. Um, and so if you are looking for someone, uh, there are people out there that do work with um, young children, um, even as young as three. A lot of times we're, you know, three, we're doing play therapy. But now I, I've kind of narrowed it and you have to be over 18. And, and I will say that became because of the pandemic and using the, um, the screen stuff is where I decided to um, just kind of move away from that. Awesome. Awesome. But yeah, I think, uh, as you were saying earlier, if he hits you up on, um, uh, I think, TikTok, your preferred you know, platform, <laughs> then, you know, maybe you'll give him some references for where he's at, right? Because I'm sure the references are different. Um, let's see here. Miss um, uh, Edmonds says, this is all so vivid for me. My relationship with mm-hmm. mom is loving, yet also triggering. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I love those honest moments. You know, I love the statement a wise person said, you can't heal what you don't reveal. Tira mm-hmm. knows that quite well. Mm-hmm. Family, we talk about everything. So some people do and some people hide it. But it, for me, it's all about the healing. And, you know, I think for certain places, you know, talking about mom topics can be taboo. Mm-hmm. I think it's in my world, it's always been easier to talk about dad issues than it is to talk about mom mm-hmm. issues. But the fact that the people are brave to be able to just call it what it is, yeah. I know there's healing on the other side. And Let's I, see another, I, oh, go ahead, Tara. I was going to say, I think part of the challenge with what leads to the tabooism is there's this inner turmoil. So I resonate as well. Like I had a great mom, but also we had some issues, you know what I mean? And so because I think it's easier to talk about daddy issues because Stereotypically speaking, it's the mother who's there day to day. Correct. If I'm with one parent, it's more likely that I was with the mother at a minimum Monday through Friday. You see what I'm saying? And so it um, in order to acknowledge that I have mother wounds, like for me, a lot of my daddy issues were rooted in his inconsistency. How can I then look at the parent who never missed anything and mm-hmm. then say it still wasn't enough? Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Wow. And so for me, I couldn't, growing up, I didn't even acknowledge that I had mother wounds until I was in my mid-20s. And it was because I couldn't handle having two not good enough parents. Like my brain couldn't process, especially as a child, that I don't have enough when it comes to parenting. And again, my mother's a good mother, but also she, because she was in single mother, super black woman, uh, you know, because she was in being both parents and she was a single mother to two and she was a full-time entrepreneur and she was just trying to make it all work. I didn't get the emotional care that I needed and that I might've gotten from her if she had a partner to support her. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, and so it's, it's a result of the circumstances so not necessarily a fault issue, but it's really, it takes a lot of 
courage to be able to say the parent who showed up every day still wasn't enough. Well, there's a lot of unpacking there. And you know, <laughs> I, I, I got a question for you guys as I read another uh, chat. I'm going to actually do the question. I'm going to read some chat. Is it possible? And I'm just throwing this out there, Dr. Sean. I already know the answer, but I'm just going to throw it out there. It's not too bad of a curveball. Is it possible for sons to have mother wounds? Absolutely. 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 <laughs> yeah. She, even with the book, she she starts out in the book like, yes, men, mother wounds happen there, too. It's just it shows up differently in us. That's all. That's all. Absolutely. And I, and I want to add to, um, you know, let people understand this is not by any means to bash a mother or a single mother. I, I've spent um, a majority of my children's years as a single mother. So, that you know, we and I want people to understand that. And even when we when I'm in therapy, I'm like, this is not about bashing your mother. Let's you know, because one, she was doing the best she could, even if she wasn't that great, because some people are like, well, she listen. It, you know, we're, we cannot, this wasn't given to us. We try to take whatever we have and make the best out of it and, and, and move on. Remember I mentioned micro, meso, and macro. Some of this, we, you know, as, as black people, we're trying to navigate, you know, we had a lot of institutional racism. Um, we also have uh, social economic things that you're trying to navigate, you know, sometimes, you know, so it's not just one thing. When we talk about the mother wound, the reason why I, I decided to focus on it, because it is a significant relationship. It is your origin story, whether you know her or not. And so, you know, given a chance to to understand like she had some stuff that she had to deal with. So she was, she can only give you what she has. And, and so I use, I say, that if you, if you got a dozen of eggs and if it's, if it's, it's only two eggs left in the car, she's giving you the two eggs, but I really needed a dozen. So mm-hmm. she's doing the best she can. The thing about you, and I appreciate your story, um, Sierra, the, that, she she's like I I need to change this I need to change this for me I need to change this for the next generation I need to change it for her sister just because of her doing the work she's changing seven generations I told you she's changing because it's gonna how they talk about mental health if you breathe you have mental health if you feel you have mental health being just by her doing that she's able to change the next seven generations behind her Thank you for saying that. And I think me and my mother recently had, we had to have a tough conversation and I had to explain to her, I was like, you know, when it comes to finances, education, career opportunities, you expect me to do better than you because I'm the next generation. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to mental health, emotional well-being, parenting, you get offended when I try mm-hmm. to do better than you. And I had to explain to her, I said, for me, I I am able to be a better mother because you were a better mother than your mother. Correct. And then she was a better mother than her mother. Like it's all Correct. about improvement overall, but you can't take offense to me improving in one category, but then expect me to improve in the other category. Because at the end of the day, I'm just trying to be better than the previous generation so that the next generation can be better in the next. And, you know, we, I think that was a really freeing conversation Awesome. because I think when I talk about the ways and the things that I've learned or the things that I'm going to do different as a mother, she received it as judgment. And I'm like, I'm not saying you were bad. You, I know you did your best. I know you gave me your best, but also 
She had me at 21. She was still in school. She was a single mother. You know what I mean? Like even between me and my sister being 10 years apart, she got a better mother because she was older, established. Her career was together. She had money. (laughs) She had a house. You know, all of the things. Whereas with me, she was figuring it out. She was 21. She was still trying to figure it out. And so when I had my daughter at almost 30, I'm in a different position automatically. I'm automatically. And on top of that, you know, I'm I'm further along educationally, career-wise, financially, and things like that. So I'm able to give my daughter better. But I think a lot of the times when we try to talk about doing better than our mothers, there's that judgment that you didn't do good enough. And they gave their best. And that's hurtful to feel like I gave you my best and it wasn't good enough. And that's a hard reality to sit in for the daughter and the mother, right? That's a really difficult reality to sit in, but we have to, in order to actually find healing, we have to have those conversations and we have to feel comfortable to have those conversations so that we can actually move forward in a productive way and not have this. I feel like in the black community, it's so common to have this toxic mother-daughter relationship. And it's it's got to stop. It's got to stop. There's a lot to unpack there. And, you know, one of the things I didn't understand initially is until I began to kind of read and I really stumbled upon these words. And for some women, in this case a lot, so much of their identity, so much of their self-worth, so much of their way of thinking comes from that original place. So to be different or to be in conflict with that just causes some form of grief. In some of the the, the descriptors that I saw that describe that conflict was comparison, mm. shame, mm. guilt, mm. sabotage. Now, who's ever seen that show up a lot in relationships? Comparison, shame, guilt, sabotage. And beginning to realize that, and I like the way you describe it, Tara, it needs to stop. And, you know, it, it's 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 hard, right? Yeah. But having a conversation allows us to unpack it. It's emotional. It's heavy. And thank you for Dr. Sean for being here. I'm going to read a few more chats before we wrap up. Um, let's see here. Um um, this is from Jai. I didn't realize that I was seeking approval from my mother until after mm. she was gone. Mm. The road to healing was so many of my challenges that had laid the path of my identity, that I had laid the path of my identity through my mom. Thanks for sharing that, Jai. Mm-hmm. Um, Mo, she says, yes, I'm triggered at times when spending time with my mother. She says, my stomach feels like a roaring lion. Ooh, they got mm-hmm. that in the Bible. Is is it possible to have a good and unhealthy relationship with the same person? Ooh, I like that question. Anything you want to say about that, Dr. Sean? Um, Is it possible for both to be true? What what I would call that is an internal conflict because I wouldn't necessarily say it's good. Um, There are some things that um, work and there are some things that don't work. And I I will refer that to more of an internal conflict. And for me, my thing is to help you reduce that conflict as much as possible and even eliminate it because healing is possible. 
I love it. I love it. Well, you know, we've had some great conversation tonight um, with Tierra. Go ahead, Tierra. Yeah, I was just looking through the comments and I see uh, Dr. Rhonda's comment about honor your mother and father and how that plays into the conversation. Can I just really quickly Ooh. just, just <laughs> it, it, it popped up in my spirit. <laughs> go, go ahead, girl. To me, how that plays into the conversation, right? I honor and obey are not the same thing. As an adult who pays her own bills, <laughs> come on somebody, I no longer feel the need as an adult to obey my mother. Honoring my mother means I show love, I show care, I show respect for, I you know protect within my ability, um, and I actually had a conversation with my child's father. I'm like, that's still my mother. You're not going to disrespect her. To me, that's honoring my mother. When I when I have questions, I go to her for her advice. But that is her opinion. I do not feel obligated to do what she says I should do. I take her advice under advisement, consideration, and then I make the decision for myself. I think what the challenge is, um, particularly in our community, even into adulthood, there's this expectation of obedience. And that's where we struggle because honor and obedience and obey are two different things. If you are a child, you obey. If you are an adult, you give honor too. And that's just a reverence for it's not. I do what you tell me to do. Awesome. You know, I think you just did, Kiera, is gave a foreshadow to part two. You know, I can always <laughs> tell when we're going to have a part two of the conversation. And I've been looking for a speaker, and i tell you what the topic is, part two. Doing this show, as I wrap up, we've talked about the challenges of the relationship between mother and a daughter. And as you can tell, it's a deep topic. Mm -hmm. And I could see as Dr. Sean was speaking, she's like, whoa, that, that's a that's a whole bunny trail right there. We ain't gonna never get back. Right. So we tried to stay at the level without being here for three or four hours. But we tried to stay on the if you have a decent relationship, if your mother is decently on a healthy mental health side, if there's still some pain or cognitive dissonance, then how do we navigate that and begin to understand that this thing can affect you? When I've been thinking about part two, I begin to think about what does it mean when mother was 15, 14 years old and she didn't get a chance to mature before she became mom? Or between emotional development, mom, some kind of way would be considered a narcissistic mom, a manip manipulative, controlling mom. As Tierra begins to foreshadow, like, what do you do? Or moms that have addictions. Yes. That's a tough one for some people. The, the, the codependence, the, the addiction and things like that. It's a heavy topic. I think we're going to need a panel for that one because that's a big topic. <laughs> But I want to say thank you to Dr. Sean for being here. And Tamika, if you don't mind dropping in chat again, that research, because I love that research. I'm telling you guys the importance of research. 
If you haven't discovered it here in Southern Soul, we talk about things other people don't talk about. When it comes to our hair, the moisture, the con conditioning, when it comes to our heart and our matters, which you begin to realize that if we don't understand these things better, nobody's going to do it for us. If we don't research and conduct how our hair and respectability politics affect our emotional health and emotional health is no different than, you know, um, you know, you get a cold and that's your, you know, your, your germ virus health. Emotional mental health is no different than that. I would like to normalize mental health as being no different than having a cold. Yeah. You get a cold, you kind of down it out for a little while and you nurse yourself back. Mental health can be similar. Or your mental health can get bad and you can keep that cold for four or five years. Mm -hmm. Here's something. So I would like to say we may get a cold, a little low on mental health for a few weeks, but we come on back like a good cold. And I want to say thank you, Tierra, for being here and sharing your story, for continuing to be yeah. transparent. You'll fit in very well with my family because we say whatever's on our mind and good Lord, people be like. I love yeah. that for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. We So perfect example. First story, we go to the cookout. And they look at my cousin. He the one with all the kids. Like, boy, must you bring all your baby mamas to the cookout? Yes. They, they just, everything. And he be like, oh, well, families that talk yeah. and families that don't. But I just want to say yeah. thank y'all. Up next, we got my brother, K Boogie. What, what K Boogie at, man? Wait, wait a minute. Did we get K Boogie off the thing? We may have. Let me see. Tamika, did we get K Boogie? Let me see if I can get him um, shared. Yeah, he wasn't on um, calls. Yeah. All right. I got K Boogie. K Boogie, talk to me. Let's see if we can get him up and going. We've been um, talking. Let me wrap up while um, K Boogie is getting going. L let me show you guys um, Southern Soul. Everything we do here tonight is through volunteerism, through people like yourself, people like Dr. Sean, who essentially do the work, but they do it for different reasons. They do it because they have somewhat of a soul passion, somewhat of a calling, somewhat of a purpose. You know, as you can see, as Tierra would speak, is just so, so strong to her that she has to begin to help others. As she began to share her story, she says, you know, the first time I helped that person at church, I began to feel good about my story. That is important when it comes to mental health. Because if you're feeling bad about your story, which is your story that you live with for the rest of your life forever, then that ain't a good story. But I love the moment where she talked about how she began to feel good. And she began to use that to help other people. Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for a discussion with the audience.